Welcome to Boiling Point. Everyone old enough will remember the footage of confused ataxic cows that were not able to stand on their own anymore. The 1990s were the time of mad cow disease, an illness caused by a misfolded protein, the prion. While mad cow disease in Europe is well under control, a similar illness is currently spreading in the States. Not in cows this time, but in deer. What it does to deer and how it has the potential to affect humans, we will chat about in just a moment. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. I'm your host Kat and my guest today is Heather Insalako. Heather is a PhD candidate in wildlife diseases at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and studies an illness that's been holding a firm grip on North America's deer population. I'm talking about chronic wasting disease. Welcome to the show, Heather. Hi, thank you. Heather, let's start with the very basics. What is chronic wasting disease? Well, Kat, um, chronic wasting disease is a fatal neurodegenerative disease that affects cervids. So these are large animals um, that you might see out there. They're moose, they're caribou, uh, they're elk, they're white-tailed deer and mule deer, um, several other species involved. And the disease is caused by a um, misfolded protein called a prion. That is the causative agent. It's very, it's a very persistent pathogen, and um, it essentially goes to the the host's brain and um, causes neurological uh, degeneration. Most people would be familiar, I guess, with the term prion because um, that's what caused or still causing the mad cow disease. Right. So, is that exactly the same agent, or is it a bit different in deer? Well, it's a little bit different in deer. They they are both prions, but they're, if we think of prions, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, <laughs> we sometimes call them different strains because they're folded differently. Um, we, we, this is the word that we, we can use to best describe their differences in conformation, so strain. So the causative agent of uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy or mad cow disease, yes, is a prion. Um, but it's considered a different strain from what we see in uh, cervids, which is the chronic wasting disease prion. Right. When did chronic wasting disease, or CWD in short, uh, first appear? Um, it was originally identified in uh, Colorado in, I think it was the late 1960s. Um, it was identified as a prion protein um, causing causing the issue in, in captive uh, cervids. I think they were mule deer. Um, yeah, so it, it originated in Colorado. And how did it just appear? Is that, do you know, is that known? That, that is not known, no. Um, there's some speculation that CWD was a spillover from sheep that were uh, carrying or sheep that were infected with uh, scrapie, which is a prion disease of sheep and goats. Um, there was a captive or a research facility scrapie positive sheep present, but no one has shown that specifically that it was a, a spillover event from sheep 
to to uh, servants. And yeah, interestingly, um, sheep were also the origin of the version in cattle, right? In Correct. the meant cow disease, yeah. um, when basically sheep were or sheep meal was fed to cattle and not um, heated properly. Um, that is very interesting that this is one of the theories, but I guess as with most diseases, it's really hard to tell afterwards what exactly happened. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, so we don't know specifically, but that that's my belief. <laughs> and I, uh, several of my co colleagues have the same belief. Um, that, that this is where it originated and this is how it originated. Um, it's highly unlikely that it just spontaneously occurred and became endemic um, in central Colorado. But that's pretty much what happens with sheep, right? Like scrapies is a basically a genetic predisposition for having this misfolded protein in sheep? Um, I'm not 100% sure on uh, the where scrapie originated from. It's been around since the 1700s. Oh, wow. It, has, it wasn't identified as a prion disease um, until much, much later until we had the tools to understand this disease type better. Um, but yeah, it's been observed in domestic sheep for a very, very long time. We don't really know where it came from. Right. Okay. But um, yeah, there's, I guess there's always a risk to go down a rabbit hole, but yeah. um, to, to sum this up. So there is that uh, prion caused uh, chronic wasting disease in deer now, and it has been around since the 60s, you said, mm -hmm. and originated in Colorado. So you said it has been around for quite a while. So how far has it spread by now? Um, it's actually quite broadly distributed across North America, and uh, as we increase our ability to uh, surveil for the disease, not just taking hunter-harvested samples from, uh, from deer or other servants that have been harvested um, to determine whether or not they're positive for the disease. Uh, so it's, it's broadly spread across North America. I believe 29 states out of the 50 in the United States of America have CWD positive um, uh, cases. And um, in Canada, I believe there are four Canadian provinces that have endemic CWD uh, at this time. And it's also uh, gone abroad in uh, Norway and in caribou and also in Korea. Uh, is that related, you think? The cases, um, the Korean cases, I believe, were a result of shipment of contaminated meat, potentially, and also uh, positive individuals being exported. The Norwegian cases are a little bit different. They appear to be a completely different strain of CWD, and that was recently determined um, by... Uh, some of the researchers in the prion community, prion biology community. Right. And now we haven't really talked about what the symptoms are. So how can you tell what does a deer with um, chronic wasting disease look like? When a deer or another cervid becomes infected, they the disease has a very long incubation period, um, up to two years sometimes. And that's really dependent on... Um, some specific genetic components, which 
go into a rabbit hole <laughs> of detail that I'll avoid for right now. <laughs> but so they essentially, um, they can shed disease prions through this uh, long incubation period. Um, they shed it in their saliva. They shed it in their feces and their urine. Um, it's also circulating peripherally in their blood. And, um, and so they're asymptomatic for a large part of that time. And then when they do become clinical, they start to, uh, they have a propensity to drool a lot. Um, they become ataxic. Um, they lose muscle coordination. They often lose interest in grooming themselves. Um, they become mentally depressed, uh, not interested in social interactions. They lose interest or forget to eat. And they essentially waste away which is where the name comes from. What a fitting name, mm -hmm. indeed. So that sounds very much like those videos um, a lot of people might remember from the 90s when um, med cow disease was spreading viciously through Europe. Yes. So it's it's a very similar pattern. A very in that similar way. pattern, yeah. There are lots of hunters in, in North America that like really like to eat the meat of deer. Um, can it spill over to humans? Um, we don't have, there's no evidence currently that that has occurred. That's not to say that it won't eventually occur. Uh, what we know as of now is, and I'm, I'm going to say this from my scientific point of view, um, it's a possibility. I believe it's a possibility from what I know and what I've seen and, and the research of my colleagues. And so I do think it should be on the radar as a public health concern, um, much like when bovine spongiform encephalopathy crossed from cattle to humans and caused what's called variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease or VCJD disease. Bovine spongiform encephalopathy or mad cow wasn't a public health concern until it was, and then it was very huge yeah and then it was a problem a very big problem and so i hope we don't see that same uh frenzy with chronic wasting disease i hope we can as a scientific community embrace this as a possibility i do think that that people are aware um that this is a potential possibility are there certain parts of the animal which hunters should avoid to eat and to um, handle that are um, particularly infectious? Um, well, the, the disease prions are, I'm going to say generally, because this has a lot to do with the animal's genetic components, but the disease prions are, um, they can circulate peripherally in tissues like muscle tissue and skin tissue. And they're, they're also found in the blood. Yeah, so the lymph nodes, for example, uh, in the brain, brain tissue, they, the disease prions will accumulate there um, at different stages of the, the disease in, uh, in high amounts. And so I wouldn't, if I were a hunter, I would you know, uh, cere ceremonially eat uh, the lymph nodes or the brain of the animal that's being harvested, and I would probably stay away from those tissues. Um, but the biggest concern here is, particularly with hunters, is that they recognize the importance of having um, any harvested deer tested for the disease. Right, so you need yeah. them in the boat, basically. Yeah. yeah. 
And um, you said before, most people are aware. So hunters are usually aware of this issue and are quite happy to um, submit samples. Um, there's mixed uh, response from hunters uh, for submitting the harvested deer for, uh, for testing. Um, some hunters are happy to do it. Um, other hunters, for whatever reason, um, you know, opt out to, to have their deer that they harvested sampled. Um, and there's a wide variety of reasons and cultural values around that. So not everyone submits their, um, their tissue samples from the, from the deer that they harvest for testing. Sure. Is, um, do you think at this stage, is um, chronic wasting disease a conservation uh, concern for, for certain deer species? I wouldn't say that it's, it's not at the point where we're worried about species collapse, um, but because we, there's no cure for the disease and it spreads so easily. It's, How does it spread, by the way? Um, that's, a, that question. that's a very oh. big area. <laughs> that's right, and we will get into that yeah. again when we talk about your research, but just broadly. Yeah, like, so it easily spreads from individual to individual. Um, it can spread directly or indirectly. Uh, and there's environmental contamination component with the disease spread here that likely contributes substantially to uh, the disease increasing endemically in areas and also this broad distribution um, that we're seeing across North America. And that would include um, elements like uh, prions um, on the ground, on the soil, sitting there for a while, probably from feces or something like that. And yeah. then the, the next deer might walk past and eat some grass next to the feces yeah. and then get infected. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or eat some soil. They do eat a lot of soil, which is... Very, Very silly in this yeah. case, yeah. <laughs> if there was a way that it could spread to humans, it sounds like remarkable that it has not happened or there's no recorded case at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the exact, the exact number of, we'll just take white-tailed deer for example, the exact number of their uh, population isn't really known. Um, in ge generally speaking about how many deer are on the landscape, it's quite high. Um, but the prevalence of this disease in the population of white-tailed deer across North America um, varies from state to state. And Wisconsin has a very high prevalence. And I, I know that diseases don't recognize state lines, but this is how we look at things um, when we're trying to manage the disease and get, a, get an idea of which management strategies might be working for mitigating the, the further spread of chronic wasting disease and uh, reducing or or capping at least um, the prevalence observed in certain areas by keeping the population slow. Yeah, that is one strategy. Um, I can't speak a whole lot about how those efforts are going um, across each state, but it, it has been an effort in the past to in wild populations um, to do targeted culling right. and, and removal of um, social groups, for example. I know the state of Minnesota is, has a, an ongoing project where they're looking at target, tar potentially targeting social groups um, to help manage the spread of the disease. 
So basically tell them, stay socially distanced, distanced deer. <laughs> and if you don't, well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, deer also have a lot of behavior that uh, kind of um, predisposes them to, uh, you know, facilitating more rapid spread of this fatal disease. They have no idea it's fatal, you know. But sure. Yeah, they, they're doing all kinds of things that uh, if they just knew. <laughs> That's right. If they were compliant. Don't but yeah. <laughs> Don't nose that deer. <laughs> Stop licking each other. <laughs> well, sounds a bit like a pain having to deal with that for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, let's into, get into your research a bit. What exactly do you focus on in your research? What do you do? Well, uh, my, the overarching theme of my research is uh, trying to better understand the ways that chronic wasting disease is being transmitted or um, if there's exposure risk with certain indirect routes of transmission or potential transmission. And there's direct transmission, which is like direct animal to animal contact. Licking each other or stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. Mating, for example. <laughs> yeah, it's never a clean activity. <laughs> no. Uh, but then there's the there are these indirect aspects, and uh, animal behavior comes into play a lot um, in both forms of transmission, but particularly with um, white-tailed deer and and also other cervids. This in the indirect forms of exposure may be very important for us to better understand how the disease is moving so rapidly across uh, this continent and um, what we can potentially be doing to, to reduce that or sort of limit the increasing um, of prevalence in endemic areas. And so I, I really try to examine, I try to think out of the box and I try to, I try to um, better understand deer behaviors that might be uh, facilitating exposure events of chronic wasting disease. And one of the things that um, is particularly important is, you know, their interactions and um, uh, what they're doing and how long they're doing these interactions. So you're being a bit of a deer psychologist. In a, way. a little bit, yeah. Yeah. My, you know, the science that I, that I, am involved in is really kind of multidisciplinary in a lot of ways. It's a little bit of animal behavior. Um, it's a little bit of biochemistry because we're working with a, a prion and it's a little bit of, um, of microbiology mixed in there. It really takes an arsenal to kind of better understand uh, many aspects of this disease. So I look at environmental routes of transmission like uh, are they doing are they eating how much you know are they eating soil how much time are they spending at um, you know areas where deer may congregate like a baiting site for example that's kind of what I, I go I go after is what are they doing in private um, how can I better understand what they're doing and um, that's where the tick work comes in uh, there's anecdotal evidence that cervids, when they allogroom, they consume ticks off of each other. Not a very pleasant uh, mental picture. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And but you can you can imagine that consuming a, a tick, you know, that is all fat and plump with blood could provide some nutritional value in a sense, and also helps the under the other individual um, with removing the ectoparasites. So. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, there are disease prions circulating in blood. And so I put those two things together um, and asked some, some questions. And, um, you know, through asking those questions and doing the long process of researching it, um, identified an, a previously, un, un, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, unrecognized source of exposure um, a pathway or a pathway for transmission so there may be many more of these and it's likely that you know indirect transmission routes are a whole host or a whole whole suite of of routes that maybe we know a little bit about or maybe we know nothing about right now and the the consumption of of engorged ticks through aloe grooming uh, highlights that particular uh, aspect of what, what we know and what we don't know about indirect transmission of this disease. Yeah, I find that very interesting because that's definitely something I wouldn't think of straight away, right? It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's there's something attached to the deer, which uh, it might be infectious mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. So um, tick eradication programs, is that the solution? I don't know if there's a solution there. <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, you know, what we really need to do is uh, investigate this further. It's, it's a cause for a concern, um, but the relevance of uh, one deer eating a tick off of a, an infect, a CWD positive deer, um, and then possibly transmitting disease in that way, the tick acting somewhat as a mechanical vector, um, the potential for that is a cause for further investigating, further investigating whether whether or not or how often deer are consuming ticks. And um, I could think of some very clever ways to evaluate that uh, if I had the funding. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is a call for money. <laughs> yeah. Anyone? <Hello. laughs> um, but there are also other other ways that indirect transmission could be could be going on. Like I mentioned, um, one of the things that I that I study is uh, the the deposition of disease prions or CWD prions in the soil, and um, deer consume quite a bit of soil. Uh, they also like to aggregate at certain areas, whether it's a baiting site or um, you know, uh, an agricultural field or a landscape feature that is either natural or man-made. Um, and what they do there, we need to better understand um, as far as disease transmission is concerned. So that's really a large part of what I'm doing here. The tick story is uh, a small component of that, but it's a very interesting one because it hasn't been 100% recognized as a, as a potential risk for disease transmission. Right. And yeah, going back to the ticks, I quickly have to add, um, I learned from you that ticks themselves can't get infected because they, yeah, they, they just can't get sick from the prions. Yeah, they, they can take it up into their bodies. I, um, I don't know where it goes specifically or if it just stays in their midgut, 
but they do take up those prions um, and they also can excrete them, which is fascinating. So it just uh, goes through them basically. Yeah, so the, they'll be harboring them in their midgut um, while they're engorging and then when they're fully engorged, it's they're still there. And I believe that they're concentrating them, although I don't have the data to back it up, but I, from what I've seen so far with um, you know, studies that I've done with the artificial membrane feeding and the exposure of ticks to chronic wasting disease prions, I believe that they, they can concentrate it so they can carry even more concentrated amounts as they continue to feed. Um, but they also seem to excrete some of it um, during their engorgement. And that really is suggesting that uh, those, those prions that I'm detecting from their feces are potentially still infectious. The only way to determine that would be to move on to do a bioassay with these materials um, to better understand if, if it is indeed still in the disease state causing infectivity. But nonetheless, with the detection assay, you can still see that it's surviving uh, tick digestion which if it wasn't surviving tick digestion, I would be very curious to know what is causing that. Because how is the tick doing that? How is the tick doing amazing. that? Is there some enzyme in there that we know nothing about um, that we could potentially target as, you know, a using as a deactivation? But that's not what I saw, unfortunately. <laughs> that would be too easy. And this disease is never easy. It's a very complex system. Yeah, you definitely didn't choose an um, easy topic. That's no. for sure. <laughs> so I have one last question for you, which I've always wondered about. Is there any beneficial um, psychological, uh, psychological, ecological um, role for of ticks, which is not just beneficial to themselves as a species, but um, to the ecosystem or to other species? Or are they just malicious parasites? Oh, I'm sure that they have an ecological role that they fill. Um, you, are you asking outside of the chronic wasting disease system? Yes, yes, yeah, that's so. more of a general question because I, I guess like most people don't really like ticks. I don't know specifically the benefit that they, um, that they provide ecologically, uh, but when we think of benefit in terms of we think of we often think of benefit in terms of you know living a long healthy life and with with little adversity, um, but in the evolutionary con context of benefit, what benefit do they provide to an ecological system? Well, they probably regulate population size uh, because of pathogen. Uh, exposure, them being vectors of many pathogens, um, and their ability to go undetected or inaccessible to a host. So in that sense, you know, they have a benefit for population regulation. That in makes a, sense. In a way, um, you know, they're sort of, they're, they're facilitators of disease spread, and disease is just part of the evolutionary process. It's part of the natural process, and um, that's why there are predators of ticks too. So there's this whole vicious cycle of, you know, disease and regulation of disease and host mortality. And so in a way they, in a morbid way, they provide a benefit. <laughs> Being a pain can also be a good thing. Yeah. That would be my yeah. conclusion. Yes. 
That makes sense. I think it's it's a very good reminder to see the bigger picture and not just the very um, channel view of ticks are unpleasant creatures. Yeah, stop spreading disease around. <laughs> That's right. Also, not very compliant, those no. creatures. <laughs> They're disgusting. <laughs> Well, on that note, um, thanks so much, Heather. It was really interesting chatting to you and learning more about chronic wasting disease. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. It was very fun to talk about all of this. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Boiling Point. We will be back with a new science story next week. Bye for now.